My name is Barb Nangle. I'm the founder of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery. This is episode one, my story in brief. I've been a seeker since my mid-20s. I've read a gajillion self-help books. I've been in therapy. I was probably about 15 when I started therapy. I'm still in therapy and have been so almost continuously. There have been breaks here and there. I've had many different therapists. I've been to all kinds of workshops, retreats, uh, spiritual groups, church. I've done a bunch of different kinds of workbooks. I've attended seminars, you name it, all trying to get better, be better, have a better life. And all of these things in the decades before I entered the rooms of 12-step recovery definitely gave me some insights. There was some growth. Um, I learned some things. But given the amount of time and energy and effort that I put in, the payoff was minuscule. My first two years in recovery alone provided me with more help and healing and allowed me to change much more massively than the previous decades of all that other stuff combined. So for me, the 12 steps are where it's at. I know that might not be true for everyone. In fact, I know it's not true for everyone, but for me, this is where I found the healing that I have been looking for. However, you don't need to be in a 12-step program to benefit from the wisdom of the program. So what I'm going to do today is tell a little bit about my story. And by that, I don't mean I'm going to go back and recount what my life was like. I will tell you how I got into the rooms, but I'm really going to say this is what it was like before and this is what it was like now to contrast how I was thinking and acting and believing before I came into 12-step programs and how that's changed. And then in subsequent episodes, we're going to talk about specific issues like acceptance and boundaries and that sort of thing. So I'm going to start with what got me into 12-step meetings in the first place. I was involved in a project that served homeless people through my church And I met a guy named Dan, he was homeless, and we became friends. And then one day during a snowstorm, I invited him to stay at my home. And he did, and then a little while later, he stayed again and again, and within about four months, he was practically living with me. He wasn't actively drinking when I met him, but he picked the alcohol back up not long after he was using drugs. And I think now that perhaps he was a narcissist with borderline personality disorder. And so I felt utterly trapped in that situation. And one day I was talking with my therapist about him and I stopped mid-sentence and I said, do you think I need to go to Al-Anon? And she was like, yes. So I went home to Google and I was looking for Al-Anon meetings and I don't know what I put in to the Google search, but whatever I put in, I came up with this word codependent. I had never heard this word before and which was amazing because it described me to a T and I was kind of shocked that having been in therapy and done all this reading and stuff that I'd never come across this word before. So I started going to meetings and really soon into it, I remember saying to somebody, I think I need to be reparented. But I thought I made that word up. I didn't know that was a thing. And so coming to understand that led me to another 12-step group that really got at my core issues. 
After about a year, I stopped going to that first one because it didn't quite fit me the way the other one did. It was maybe a 75% fit, whereas this other one was really a 100% fit for me. And as I said, got right at my core issues. Um, Not long after quitting that first one, I got 12-stepped into another fellowship. So for those of you who are not in 12-step programs, when I say I was 12-stepped into something, what I mean is someone carried the message of recovery to me. So that's part of what we do in 12-step programs. In fact, step 12 talks about carrying the message to those who still suffer. So I'm now in two fellowships. Um, I've done the 12 steps multiple times. I have a sponsor and I sponsor people. I give lots of service in both programs. And what we say in 12-step programs is you can't keep what you have unless you give it away. Thus, that's why the 12-step, the 12th step is that you carry the message to those who still suffer. It helps me to hold on to my recovery, to talk to other people about what recovery is like. And in giving my service, I find myself having a lot of the same conversations with people over and over and over again, meaning there's certain issues that kind of stick in the craw of lots of people. And so I decided it was time to record those things and I'm going to do it um, on topical issues so that you can listen to acceptance or victim mentality or boundaries or something like that, as opposed to listening to a whole episode that may or may not address an issue that's pressing for you. So now I'm going to move on to what I got from recovery. I'm going to give a brief survey, but before I do that, I want to tell you that in preparing for this podcast, I sat down and typed out all the ways in which I can think of that I have changed as a result of my recovery. And that ended up being a three typed page bulleted list. I'm not reading a three typed page bulleted list today. I'm just reading excerpts of that, but I want you to know that there's much, much more than what I'm about to say today. And then the other thing I want to say before I go into the list is that before recovery, there was so much about me and about my life that I was absolutely blind to. I mean, I just really, really couldn't see it. And now that I'm in recovery, I can look back and I can say, here's what I was thinking. Here's what I was doing. And here's what my motives were with crystal clarity. It's really obvious. Whereas back then, I didn't know any of that stuff was going on. And I think, in fact, even if I had known that it was going on, I don't think I would have had the ego strength to admit what was going on. And I suspect that's because my psyche was protecting me from seeing these dysfunctional things that I was doing. That being said, I'm going to now start telling you about ways in which I've changed. I can tell the truth about what I really think and really feel without fearing what other people will think of me. So that means I care more what I think of me than what others think of me. So I was once told years ago by a guy who was actually from AA who said, it's none of your business what other people think of you. And when he said this to me, I was like, what? I have no fucking idea what that means. I cannot wrap my mind around that. And over about a 15-year period of time, every time I thought of that, I was just baffled. I really didn't understand what that meant until my very first 12-step meeting, as a matter of, or actually my very first 12-step meeting in my most recent fellowship, 
I walked in and somebody said, it's none of your business what other people think of you. What is your business is what you think of you. And then I started to get it. It took a while to sink in. But what that means is I care much more what I think of me because I have to live in my shoes. Doesn't mean I don't care at all what other people think of me. Of course I do. But I have to place what I think about myself of as much my higher importance. I am able to reach out for help. This was something that I, I simply was not capable of doing before. I, it was paralyzing for me. In fact, I kind of felt like I was going to die if I was going to ask someone for help. I was the helper. I was the rescuer. I was the fixer. So I'm able to ask for help and accept help from people, which is really an amazing shift for me. I am much more able to be vulnerable with people. Um, I absolutely was afraid of that before. I think what I really wanted was people to see me and know me without letting them in, which is not possible without vulnerability. So I've learned about the process of discerning who is safe to be vulnerable with. I no longer blame people who are untrustworthy for violating my trust in them. So I used to trust people who were untrustworthy. And then when they would violate my trust, I would blame them. And now I know it's my fault for trusting them in the first place. I feel whole no longer fragmented. So this was something that was completely outside of my awareness before recovery. It was almost like I was walking around as these floating pieces with spaces in between them. And that meant that other people's shit could penetrate me through those different spaces. Uh, but now that I'm in recovery, all of those have come together and I am whole. I feel whole. There is a boundary around me. Whole things have boundaries. So I can be rocked by things that happen to me for sure, but I'm not going to be shattered the way that I was before because I wasn't whole. I was already in pieces. So when something happened to me, shattering me was so easy and it's just not anymore. I feel a sense of peace and serenity most of the time, except when I don't. And when I don't, I have tools for how to get back to that. I honestly didn't know that I didn't have peace and serenity in my life. I think, in fact, before recovery, if somebody asked me if I had peace, I would probably would have said yes. But until I got to peace and serenity through the process of recovery, I really didn't know what I was missing. And though I get disturbed regularly, after all, I am a human and I live in a world with other humans, my disturbance is short-lived because I have tools and I understand my part in things. Before recovery, I really, really thought it was all of you and the world around me that was the problem. And if only things went my way, then everything would be cool. And I've come to learn as the process of recovery, through the process of recovery, what my part in things. In other words, what was I doing to create chaos, to create drama, to exacerbate the drama that was going on around me? And I've learned to stop. So even though things still happen to me, like life happens to me, I know how to deal with it. So my ups and downs are much fewer and farther between. They're not as high or as low. And I just have a lot more calm in my life. So 
One of the things that one of our pieces of literature in 12 Steps says, if I am disturbed, there is something wrong with me. And what that means to me is not nobody else has ever done anything. It means if I want to be undisturbed, then it's up to me to find a way to get to that. It also really hits the point home that I can't control other people. I can't change other people. So if somebody is a disturbing presence in my life, I'm not going to change them into an undisturbing presence in my life. I have to change something about me. Maybe I have to get out of their life. Maybe I have to set boundaries on my time with them. Maybe I spend less time with them, or maybe I think differently, or maybe I pray, but I'm the one that has to do the adjusting. I am much more tolerant of people and the world around me. So for example, I don't get pissed off in traffic anymore. If somebody pulls in front of me, what do I do now? I slow down or I speed up or I swerve, whatever I need to do. And I usually say to myself, this is what's happening. Because in the past, I was swearing at those people and yelling at those people. And I don't want that stranger to take away my serenity. So this means I'm not carrying around tension in my body all the time, like I did for the first number of decades in my life. And I'm not walking around with low level anxiety like I did for the first number of decades in my life that I honestly didn't know that I had until it was gone. Uh, I have much better boundaries than I ever had before, which means other people's shit doesn't leak into my territory. I'm much more clear about what's mine and not mine, including what's my business and not my business, what I like and don't like. I don't gossip the way that I used to, which I didn't even realize that was what I was doing. I knew what really obvious gossip was, but I didn't understand because in my family, we talked not to the person we had a problem with, but everyone around them. And since I'm focused on me now, I don't feel the need to control things outside my boundary, which means I don't butt into other people's business. I don't give unsolicited advice, which I used to do constantly before recovery. I don't feel threatened or like I have to have answers or be something I'm not like perfect the way that I used to. I don't live with a sense of urgency 24 hours a day, 365 days a year the way that I used to. I pause when I'm disturbed or I don't know what to say or do. I say things like, give me a moment or I'm going to have to think about that, which just were not even options before. So for me, this allows my higher power to enter the situation, my higher power, which I choose to call God. It allows me to use my thinking brain rather than my lizard brain, which is a reactor rather than actor, and also allows me to reach out to others if necessary. This pause is by far my number one tool of recovery. It really has made all the difference in the world. I turn my will and my life over to my higher higher power multiple times a day. And in, I do this instead of using my will. And it's an enormous relief for me to know I'm not in charge. I don't have to be in charge. I surrender to the flow of life instead of fighting against it, which I wasn't aware that I was doing that before recovery. I honestly wasn't. I understand that I'm flawed and so are you. 
And that's okay because we're human. And knowing that I'm flawed and you are too makes me willing to be vulnerable to others. And that willingness to be vulnerable is, has played the greatest role in the creation of intimacy in my life. Somebody shared the word flossom with me at one time, F-L-A-W-S-O-M-E, flossom. So that's when you embrace your flaws and still know that you're awesome. And I love that. That really means a lot to me to know that I'm flawed in my awesomeness and I'm awesome in my flawedness. I am much more accepting of what is. That means I don't expend a lot of energy forcing my will onto the world or defending against something that I think should be different. I did a lot of that before recovery didn't understand I was doing that. In fact, I actually thought I was the kind of person who didn't have have a lot of quote shoulds in their life, but I really did. I really thought, you know, this is how people should be acting and talking and this is what they should be doing. Thus, all the unsolicited advice I gave to people. And if the world only operated in this way, and if nobody was driving at the same time as me, uh, then the world would be out of our place and I would have more peace. But it, it doesn't really work that way. I've learned to accept this is what's happening. I tell the truth, no matter how difficult it is. I don't try to manage information or construct an image of what I think people want me to be, which means I'm much more authentic. I used to believe I was an honest person. I I really believed before recovery I was a truly honest person. And I know now that was not the case. I mean, my main dishonesty was in the form of this, what I call image management, where I was mostly people pleasing, saying, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that. I'd be happy to. Sure. No, I don't mind when that was all bullshit. I just said it because I was afraid of what people were going to think. And so I really care a lot more what I think of me than what other people think of me. And that has really helped me with telling the truth. I also realized that before recovery, I was terrified of being judged by other people. And I realize now the thing is people are going to judge me. It's what we do as human beings. We are discerning, judging creatures. It's what we do. So now... I realize I might as well be judged as the actual me rather than some fake version of me that I think you want, even though I never asked you what you want and perhaps never even spoke to you. I just decided this must be what they wanted me to want me to be. I tried to be that. And then because I had this facade up, I was all defensive because God forbid you should see behind the facade. And then if you multiply that by the number of facades I had, which were many, I was extremely defensive. And though I'm still defensive from time to time, I believe I can feel it at the time when it happens. And I know after the fact that I can, but it's decreased just, you know, probably like 95%. So that's a brief summary of some of the ways I've changed as a result of my recovery. I hope you will turn, tune into my next episode on acceptance. I'll share what that means to me and how I learned after decades of trying to be accepting and surrender. Mm-hmm.